0: Come, Holy Spirit, and enkindle in the hearts of your faithful the fire of your love. Amen. Making the turn from Charles Gate, chin-high weeds and feral plantings obscure the fins gardens and crowd the sidewalk. Looming over the stone wall like wispy yellow green fingers, reaching in the breeze for passers by. Driving beneath a a crooked and lightless traffic signal, we continue past the crumbling Berkeley facade, potholes punched through the pavement to the mossy remains of the mass pike below. The raised doors of the Engine 33 Ladder 15 firehouse, open to a ruinous sea, sheets of asphalt leaning against curbs and tipping into sinkholes deeper than subway tunnels. Like flashes in the corner of our eye, we sense living creatures tucked between these buildings, peering out of their glassless windows. We cannot see them, cannot discern whether they cower or they coil, but some awakened, ancient energy inside of us twitches alarm. Our heartbeat quickened. We we lock the doors and tighten our grip on the steering wheel. As chapter 10 in the Gospel of Mark begins, Jesus leaves the Capernaum home of Simon Peter and Andrew. Yesterday and a million years ago, he began his ministry there, near the Sea of Galilee's northern tip, calling his disciples from its shores. And now he continues his southward march to Jerusalem, a turn he made on the lonesome high mountain of his transfiguration. And all along this way, the Pharisees haunt the rubble of his companion's hopefulness, torment the vestiges of what prayers for safe passage he had dared in his own heart. Zealots claiming their moment's power. These Pharisees plot to destroy Jesus, to try him with meannesses, bitten, With these zealots poisoned, the querulous disciples do their bidding, pulling hoods tight above their sunken eyes. They shield themselves from the sun. They regurgitate to Jesus the Pharisees' testing questions. They claw to preserve and advance their own status. And they they howl at the crowds, even those who approach Jesus sincerely. The teacher responds to all this with grace and not intimidation. Let the little children come to me, he pleads. Do not stop them, for it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Yet either in frustration or exhaustion, he finally recites his Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary incantation for a third time. And those who followed him were afraid, the gospel records. For gathered around the campfire, Jesus hisses warning. See, the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. They will hand him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him, spit upon him, flog him, kill him, and yet, after three days, he will rise. Indeed, do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another, all will be thrown down. And after that suffering, the sun will darken, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from a shaken heaven. The Prudential Central antenna reaches across the Boston Public Library, pointing toward us and the ruins of the Lenox, a bowing idol of stone and steel and milky glass. Inching out of its crooked shadow, we pull behind the cremains of a construction van parked on the wrong side of Boylston at Dartmouth. And did we see that? was that real sparks of of orange blinking inside the square windows of the van's rear doors we close our eyes and shake at the impossible image when again we sense movement this time behind us instinctively we dart our head and hear old south's rusting bell moan long since disgorged from its felled tower, bumped by the phantom on our flank and wobbling beneath a a low step in the sidewalk, its great clapper slowly rasping its lip, opening our car door, a smell of sickness knocks us back into the driver's seat. With one hand to our mouth and nose, we we paw above the sun visor and find a package of aged COVID masks. Fitting two around our ears and tucking a third into our pocket, we gird ourselves and step out onto the curb. The Copley Square before us is a muddy, fetid pool. The murky water, its surface shimmering with chemicals, moves, in gentle waves by an unseen force, revealing and then swallowing the rounded shell of the tortoise, the tilted head and tall ear of the hare. We walk behind the disintegrating outline of the fountain and toward Trinity Church, where nothing remains of the west porch. While most most of what we have seen appears to have dilapidated, to have returned to the earth, Trinity's entrance has been precision-cut just to the east of the West Gallery. There is no sign of the porch's heavy wooden doors, or the blues and greens and small glass globes of John Lafarge's masterwork. The statues and carvings that once stood Stintinel there have marched to some new theater, the columns and the mural work, gone. We walk closer and peer inside, realizing that the church's interior has been eviscerated, scraped clean from the towers to the undercroft, like a terrible emptied gourd. What remains of the stained glass windows our jagged teeth along their lower sills. Twenty feet below us, organ pipes peek upright out of an ooze, a pink sludge moldering with rotted pew cushions and carpets and book bindings. Those ranks of pipes, a broken and bare ribcage, breathing a faint and haunting death whistle. Without warning, a cry splits the stale air. The shriek of a blind wraith, the plea of a suffering spirit, Son of David, have mercy on me. Torn from the eerie scrolls of this Halloween season, this is the way we prefer our zombie apocalypse whether a soul-cracking scene from Cormac McCarthy's The Road or Terry Gilliam's Twelve Monkeys, we need not know the cause of this devastation so long as it is not our fault or fixing. These drive-in, double-feature horror movie visions offer a, a ghastly balm, a sour relief that finally... All our angers, all our worries, all our pains have given way to a conclusion that we neither could have hastened nor halted. We take a nihilist's comfort in imagining such a world without Trinity Church. For that world is without all we hold fond or familiar. And blessedly, we have no responsibility for any of it. Friends realize that this pandemic looms as a potential extinction event for American Christianity as we know it in the Episcopal Church. After decades of decline in an increasingly secular society, the interruption of our common life threatens not our vitality, but our viability, our very existence. And we need not conjure make-believe monsters to ravage our world in this future, for we will have become the Death Eaters, apathetic ghouls who have chosen lethargy as our legacy. We who will have taken for granted our institutions, even this one, as though they will pulse and perpetuity by the blood and bone of those who bequeath them and their promise to us. Giving in to the self-righteous, self-interested specters who traffic in the destructive power of this moment, we will find ourselves aimed for a future with no horizon beyond the fleeting satisfaction of their complaints and their disappointment and rather than a Trinity Church emptied by unholy revenants. These pandemic days will have anticipated a a dystopic hellscape of self-absorption, one one more like the visions of, of Biff Tannen or George Bailey. And along such an unbelieving Boylston, Trinity Church will have been cored by consumption, rezoned for mixed use, with luxury condominiums on the upper floors of the parish house and Boutique shopping beneath this church, outfitted as an auditorium, a godless space of spectacle, selling talismans of sacred runes, long since forgotten, much less prayed or sung. Can you imagine this kind of world without Trinity Church? Without beloved communities, stoking hope and sharing love and inspiring faith in the God of Resurrection? Let that absence haunt your imagination. Close and menacing as such a nightmare seems, God hopes a better future. And Trinity Church, I believe that we do too. And if we share a brighter vision, then we must pledge ourselves to it. With the generosity God hopes for the world, we must invest ourselves in the future as we aspire it. Today at Trinity Church, we begin our 2022 stewardship season, when we invite every household in our community to make a financial commitment for the upcoming year. We call this commitment a pledge, and we view that covenant as a promise between us and the God of all creation, that by this pledge we will invest ourselves in a movement greater than ourselves alone. And we resolve this devotion for the well-being of our soul and the soul of the cosmos. Therefore we do not pledge to keep the columns upright or the organ sounding. Instead, we give because God calls us to give, because God has chosen the church as the instrument of the world's salvation and asks us to partner in realizing God's great dream. The tension, of course, is that we must keep the church's lamps lit and fund the parish's ministry, for we spend only what we can afford, and we can afford to spend only what has been pledged and granted. Therefore, our invitation to stewardship has two goals. Individually, we pray that every member of this congregation will give faithfully. And then communally, we pray that together we will provide for the ministry to which God calls us. Now, this is the moment in the sermon when I would usually catalog the needs and plans that we have drafted for the coming year. I would make our strong case for each optimism, and make no mistake, the cases are strong. We would pass the plate and let the momentum of custom and convenience carry us, giving what we usually give and trusting our neighbor to shoulder the rest. Well, friends, we no longer have the luxury of waiting even another moment, much less another year, to answer God's call to us. Vultures and vampires gather at the threshold and wait for us to shrink away, to concede our faith and join their ranks of the malevolent and the mocking. people of God, let us stand against them. Let us throw off our cloak and run to the risen Christ. And aiming for 2022, let us accept joyfully our responsibility to give for the welfare of Trinity Church and God's hopes for the whole world. filling this church, filling this church with your generosity and love, teeming in response to every cry. I pray in the name of God.